Happy New Year! Bonne année! Umga Kamgiza! Welcome to a new episode of Parole. I am your host, Alexandra Yamoyaboui. What a great way to start this year with a bullshit of women who show us the necessity of serving others. Today's guest is Noret Sulimuchi, Burundian, global citizen, social justice champion, and girl magic ambassador. You'll get all of this after having listened to her. My goal this year was to welcome more women who are vulnerable and strong. Et j'ai bien commencé l'année. Sharing is caring, as they say. This too, you'll get it afterwards. But for me, subscribe and share make a huge difference. Have a frito or a tea, coffee, depending on where you are, and enjoy. P.S. I need a sponsor. Asking for a friend. Hello, hello there. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, so who are you? Tell us about who you are. I am Noret Turimuchi. I am, um, I am, it, you know, that's such a, a hard question for me to answer sometimes, but I'll say I'm a mom of three. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm Burundian. I'm an East African and proud African citizen. Uh, but I'm also a feminist who looks forward to debunking all the negative stereotypes that I think sometimes come with the, you know, us being feminist. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm also uh, the proud leader of the Resonates team here in Rwanda, and we are a social enterprise that um, builds the leadership of women and, and youth in East Africa so they can create the changes they want to see in their lives and in their communities. Okay, so I'm going to get back a little bit about what you said about being Burundian. So for you, what does that mean? You know, Burundi is, is my roots. It's where um, I haven't lived in Burundi for almost 20 years now. Mm. But, but somehow, you know, whenever I go back and travel and, and visit, it just feels like home because I spent, I was born there, I spent the first, you know, 17 years of, of my life in Burundi. So mm. um, a few minutes ago, you were talking about Frito and Vitumbura, I'd lose wagon the list and, you know, all things Burundian that just bring me back to my childhood and all the happy memories that come from my early years. So for me, Burundi is like home, it's roots, mm. it's where, where I come from. All right. So what does that mean to be with us? Because I have two meanings of feminism, the African uh, definition and the European one. I tend not to follow the European one because I don't get it. But what is for you being a feminist? I, you know, I, I still find it confusing that there's so many definitions of feminism. <laughs> but, but you're right, there are many, not just the European and, and African ones. But for me, being feminist is um, believing and supporting um, equal access to opportunities between women and men, between girls mm -hmm. and boys, right? It's, it's for, I think where, where the conversations gets derailed sometimes is where people say, oh, you think people are equal and that's not possible because we're born the same. Mm -hmm. But really it's not that. It's, you know, I think that regardless of gender people, um, people should have access to the same opportunities in life. And, and we shouldn't be discriminated against or, you know, let some um, social cultural norms um, be, become barriers for us to become the people that we want to be and achieve the goals we want to achieve. That's, that's what I call feminism. 
Yeah. All right. So before we go into the, the work that you do at Resonate, can you tell us about your uh, professional studies, uh, professional studies, no, professional work beforehand, and then your studies, just to kind of give us uh, a glimpse of who you are. I, um, when, I when I was in uh, university, uh, I took a course on career planning, and um, we had a guest speaker who said that in America, at the time, the, the average person changes careers at least three or four times in their life. And I was like, mm -hmm. what? What do you mean? <laughs> three, four times? And that's basically me today. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I left Burundi, like I said earlier, I was um, 17 mm -hmm. and, and went to Indianapolis, Indiana, in the Midwest, in the US, and basically knew maybe two or three people there. <laughs> Uh, you know the immigrants. Okay. <laughs> the immigrants oh, well. anywhere, like you know somebody somewhere, and they, you know, tell you about the university and yeah. you apply, got in, and, um, and so I, I was. I didn't quite know what I wanted to study, what I wanted to become. Um, mm -hmm. I, I knew I had to pick something that would make my parents proud, my African parents proud. Uh, so I I went with finance. I was just kind of like interested in a lot of things. So I was like, let me do finance and economics. You know, that's where the money <laughs> is. If anything, I'll be financially independent. <laughs> so I graduated uh, with a degree in finance, uh, a minor in economics and Spanish because I was doing okay. different things. And then I started working. I started interning actually while I was uh, in university for an investment firm, and I worked with a group of financial advisors. So I, you know, got in, it was, like, it was like a great way to start applying what I was learning in university. Mm -hmm. And I ended up working full-time um, upon graduation, they hired me. Wow. So for the first eight years um, of my professional career, I was, I had my licenses to, you know, trade the stock market, the stock market and had my insurance license. Mm -hmm. um, but I slowly realized that it, you know, it wasn't really what I was meant to do because the, my favorite part in what I was doing, in the work I was doing, um, was building relationships with clients and feeling mm -hmm. like I was helping people, you know, and that I was making a difference in people's lives. I'd say I probably wasn't as, you know, driven by, by the profits or the, you know, making more commission. Mm -hmm. um, like it just wasn't my drive, which mm -hmm. made in the end, means that I wasn't super successful <laughs> from that perspective. Right? I was yeah. like, I'll go so far. What I'm enjoying is helping people. Yeah. So um, in 2010, I, I moved to Toronto, to Canada, and that was my opportunity to switch careers and do something okay. different. So I moved to the nonprofit sector and I started working for a cancer agency uh, called the Canadian Partnership Against Cancer, um, mandated by the federal government to improve cancer care or cancer control for all Canadians. Mm -hmm. um, so that aligned, it, it was a shift because it was in health, but it was really an overseeing or it was like a, at a federal level, we were looking at how can we get the provinces and territories in Canada speak to each other, but speak to each other more efficiently and learn from mm -hmm. each other. So Canadians had better access to cancer care. And um, I, I was drawn uh, to a specific portfolio in that organization that looked at improving cancer care for the indigenous peoples of Canada. 
Okay. And their their population, the indigenous peoples in, in Canada have, you know, less access and less quality care than the average Canadian. And to me, that inequality is something that I felt like I wanted to contribute to, you know, fighting and eliminating. Mm-hmm. So I, I worked with that uh, portfolio for after a few years um, after, I joined, uh, after I joined CPAC, the partnership. Um, and, and so that was career number two. And yeah. in 2017, I, I moved to Rwanda. Okay. And yeah, I moved to Rwanda. And uh, the story behind that is, um, goes back actually to 2005 where I was still working uh, with the Cook Financial Group in, in Indianapolis, that group of um, elite financial advisors. Mm-hmm. And my mom got sick. Um, she was in Burundi, in Bujumbura at the time. Most of my family was there. Mm-hmm. And so I'm, I'm in Indy and, you know, I just graduated at that time. I was like, you know, feeling like I'd made it in life. I had a job, you know, like I would be my parents proud. Do everything. Exactly. Like I felt like the sky was the limit. Uh, and then I get this phone call telling me that mom was sick and I had to fly back. Uh, so, I mean, you know what that's like, right? The, the layovers, the long trip. Um, yeah, the long trip on the plane where I was wondering if, you know, if she was still alive. Because, you know, people tend sometimes to not even tell you if somebody mm-hmm. has passed away in an emergency because they don't want to stress, stress you in quotation marks. Um, so it was definitely the most intense trip of my entire life. And then I get home, um, she was at Polyclinic in, in mm-hmm. town. And I get to Polyclinic and um, she'd been there a few days by the time I got there. And I started realizing how, as, as nice as you know that place was as compared to other hospitals in Burundi, mom had access to very limited care and she wasn't improving. She was actually getting worse by the day. And then there's one night where um, the doctors and the nurses were telling us that she, she, she was slitting into a coma, basically. She went into, um, uh, what do you call it? Hypo, BCB. Okay. And, and they didn't know. So what they could see was just that, that she was sort of shutting down and uh, they needed to feed her and give her medicine but she, could, she wasn't responsive. So they had to insert a feeding tube in her, you know, like through her nose, down to her stomach mm-hmm. to pump um, food and, and meds to, to, to administer them to her. Um, and then, so they did that. They did the procedure and inserted a tube in her nose. And it was my first time seeing that. It was, mm-hmm. you know, a feeling scared. And so we, we'd left the room. They called my dad and I back in the room. And then they tell us after they'd already done all that, that at Quickening they didn't have a syringe that was large enough to fit, like to connect to the feeding tube. Mm-hmm. The ones they had were too small. So they're like, you know, we still can't do anything for her. So my cousins, my entire family had to drive around to different pharmacies, like knocking on doors to see if they could find a syringe. And they finally did. Um, but it's like, I just had that moment when I was in a room with her, looking at her, you know, in that hospital bed, thinking like, how, how can I be 
in the US living my best life when my mom, you know, like the people who afforded me that life, have access to, to basic care. And it's in that moment that I was like, I need to, I need to come home. So the, the, mm -hmm. the, I think many of us experienced that moment in, in different ways. For me, it was the guilt of having all these opportunities available for me because of her or thanks to her and her not having access to any opportunities yeah. in, in the most you know, literal way. Um, so at, at that time, I knew I wanted to, I needed to come home. Um, and, you know, I, I decided I'd move back as soon as mom would get better. What followed though was a long seven months of her being sick and she got better. Mm -hmm. um, so I returned to mind, I was like, I'm moving back. But that's, that's not what happened. I started like making plans, you know, I need to save money before I go home. I need to know what I'm going to do. You know, do I start a nonprofit? Do I, like, you know, what, what's the plan? And mm -hmm. then a year turned into two years, into three years. Next thing you know, I'm still in the U.S. Then I'm moving to Canada, right? Um, then in 2017, I had, my husband and I had, uh, two and a half year old and four month old twin boys. And I was on my journey to leave and we needed a break because we we're exhausted. So <laughs> I decided to come to, <laughs> to come home and, and home was together by that time because my mom and my dad had moved here. So we get here and literally the night I get to Kigali, we arrive in Kigali, mom gets sick again. So she, she'd recovered and had a long-term illness uh, from, from that 2005 um, mm -hmm. event. Uh, but yeah, 2017, she was, she, she got sick again the same night, uh, went to the, was taken to the hospital. And after that, she started, her health started declining again. And she unfortunately passed away that year. Um, and I like to think of it as her sort of bringing me home, where in 2005, mm -hmm. she was sick and I said, you know, I'm coming home, I'm coming mm -hmm. to the continent, I love Africa. And, and and not honoring that promise. And then in 2017, I came and I was like, this is it, I'm staying. Yeah. So we moved here, um, been here since then. And it's, it's literally um, a few weeks, a few weeks or about a month before she passed away. I, I ran into someone who worked, into a few people who worked for Resonate at a networking event. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I was just feeling again with what mom was going through. I, I felt this need to give women, to give back to women. Um, and I ran into the Resonate team, and they were an organization that worked to unlock the leadership potential of women. Just like hearing that, was like, okay, yeah. tell me more. Um, and it's it's a you know it's a our mission is to help women realize how strong, how resilient they are. And really build their their self confidence so they can reach mm -hmm. their goals. And it just spoke to me so much with what I was going through, um, with being mom to a daughter now mm -hmm. and worrying about her and her future. So I the stars really aligned for me to join the Resonate team and do what I do today, which is I guess my third career now <laughs> of the social enterprise. And I feel I feel home here. That's amazing. I mean, it, it, it seems like the teacher was so right on every level. 
it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, so when we talk about leadership, I think for me, it's always funny when people ask me about Burundi and how maybe Burundians who may have, may have not coped with, you know, years of violence and, but there is something about resilience and, and strength that comes from, you know, either our parents, um, people on the ground and so many people basically. Obviously you being in Kigali right now, Rwanda, you know, with its own history. I would like to ask you, what's the main difference? Like, what do you see as a different way of, we, we may think that Burundians and Rwandans are the same. I don't know, Rwandans and Rwandans are the same, but we're different, with, we cope with, you know, grief differently. What do you see in them that is so different from Burundians, if there is anything actually? And how are you going to teach them how do you teach them leadership? How do you teach them about, you know, just showing up and being proud and having this confidence that, you know, women kind of tend to like in our culture, not like, but, you know, you put it beside and you shove it somewhere, <laughs> you hide it and like, okay, yeah. confident lady, shut up and stay there. <laughs> yeah, we, we, the confidence gap is definitely real. Um, <laughs> that's a great question. I, I, I wouldn't, necessarily say that there's a difference between Burundians and Rwandans in the way we um, we are resilient. I think the, the way we define leadership at Resume is being proactive in the face of a challenge. Hmm. So it, it's not about, you know, a position or, or, or who you are in a formal, you know, setting hmm. necessarily you know, having like a title. It's about mm. your ability to see a challenge, see a problem, face a challenge and to find a solution for it. You know, at your level with the means that you have at your disposal. And, and when you apply this leadership, you know, it's a way of being. When, mm. you, when you're able to think this way and tackle each day as it comes with its challenges, th that's resilience, right? Because that means as each day comes with its challenge, you you tackle it yeah. and, and you do that for for as long as it takes. And, and that's been, to, to me, to us, that is resilience. That's building, when we build this mindset, we're building mm -hmm. who are able to face challenges over time. And I think that Burundians, Rwandans, Africans in general, we, we do show up, we do, you know, we go through hardship and we take it day by day. And, and tackle it as best as we can. I think the difference about um, what we do at Resonate is there is a, like a, a documented, like supported by evidence, confidence gap between men and women. Mm. And it's a global issue. It's not an African issue. It's not a Rwandan yeah. or, or anything. So it's the fact that as women, we're less self-assured or self-confident than men. So when presented with the same opportunity to tackle a challenge, sometimes we don't lean into it and we don't take advantage of it as fast as well as, you know, strongly as the men do. Mm -hmm. So we miss out on, 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 on opportunities, economic, economic opportunities, opportunities for social advancement. And that's why, you know, we, we, it takes us longer to then show up in the formal leadership positions, for example. So what we do is um, 
and, and Rwanda is a great way for us to be based as much as we work in East Africa. Mm -hmm. the, here is um, where we were born. There's tremendous support for gender equality from the leadership level, okay. uh, from the government level. And what we want to see is that, you know, represented at all levels of the communities, right, in households. The fact that there's support for gender equality here means that there are, like, there are available opportunities for education for women. There's, you know, program for, programs for um, women entrepreneurs. There's vocational training programs that are implemented by NGOs and, and other organizations here and companies sometimes. What's missing is that it's, it's that soft skills, that leadership, is that self-confidence that's gonna, you know, help the woman use that technical skill she learned and apply it and do something mm. great with it. For example, let's say um, um, a practical example is like an, an NGO that does provide vocational training program where they'll teach a woman, you know, to let's say weave baskets and they'll mm -hmm. give them often even be at least basic entrepreneurship skills you know, in the sense of, you know, this is how you access markets. Um, this is how you sell the, the crafts of the EVCK that you weave. But the woman will go home and still feel afraid to tell her family, her husband, her neighbor that she's starting a business. Because even in her own mind, she doesn't believe that, she's, she's a, that she could be a business person or a good one. Wow. Right? It's, and, and the, the women and the youth, because um, we work with women, girls, and, and the boys who live in their communities, so we work, work with youth in general. Um, they're in rural areas. They come from low-income communities um, and low-education backgrounds often. Mm. So these are like additional layers that make it harder for them to yeah. know, to understand how much they can do. So the way we work is through partnerships. So we'll partner with these um, NGOs, or organizations, or groups that are providing education and hard skills, and we bring in the leadership and self-confidence building uh, component. So mm -hmm. women and youth both, mm -hmm. you know, so that she now knows how to do something, and then she has the mindset and the confidence to be like, "All right, okay. I can do it, and I can grow it, and I can have ambitious goals, and I can tell people mm -hmm. I have to tell." Yeah. you know my network about it and to ask for help or for funding or you know whatever it is she needs and for our core program we use storytelling as one of our core methodologies and the storytelling helps them um the the storytelling training helps them identify their their values for example like to just sort of build awareness so she understands who she is what she cares about what's driving her to want to create this change or to want to create this business or to want to apply for this job. Yeah. And then you can use the storytelling to communicate that and, and, and inspire others to either join her or invest mm -hmm. in her or you know, push her further to, to, to reach what she wants to, the reach that she set for herself. I mean, um, you know, it called me naive or, or maybe crazy, but every time I'm thinking about entrepreneurship in Africa, uh, I'm reminded of all the women who are selling, you know, fruits and vegetables at the, at the market, for example, you know. So when I hear people saying, but she's a lady, she's a, she can be into business. I'm like, she's been doing so for, I don't know, you know. So for me, when you say they don't even consider themselves business people, I'm like, 
who are you then? <laughs> because you're selling me the vegetables. Like I'm eating your food, like the food you're providing me. So where do you think is this coming from? Because we kind of all in different ways, we can put the um, syndrome of just like, uh, oh, totally forgot the name, uh, imposter syndrome, where you say, oh, I'm not sure if I'm, you know, I'm not sure if I'm the right person. I think it really happens to male and females, but why is it so there for women? The imposter syndrome? Yeah. Because actually when you're selling me something and you're like, no, but I'm just doing this for fun. I'm like, no, you're not. Uh, I'd say it's, it definitely comes to, um, comes back to, to how we were raised and the cultural and, and social norms we were raised around. Like I, I remember personally growing up, um, I'd say that my, my parents, our parents, I have four siblings, two mm -hmm. brothers and two sisters, so three girls um, on two. And I'd say that our parents didn't like, necessarily treat us differently. Um, well, maybe, may, maybe like if we had guests, you know how it goes, like the girls are the ones who are going to go and yeah. maybe serve you and, and serve guests. Yeah. But let's say if we had like a big family gathering, a big ceremony, because the girls, we, we would be, yes, serving the guests, but the boys would also be working somewhere. Yeah, behind, you know? yeah. Behind, like mm -hmm. everybody, I think we all had the same expectation in terms of studying well and and mm -hmm. and, and um, having good grades. But I also remember, for example, being in a wedding or at one of the ceremonies and my dad being the only one who's given, you know, the microphone. Example, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost, it's these subtle ways in which we don't show up as women. So as much as we are contributing to building the families, mm -hmm. often being actually the rock of the families, we're not seen when it comes to like speaking up yeah. or having, we have voices, but we had no rooms to, especially growing up, no rooms to, to, to use them. Yeah. And and then, you know, representation, like just looking at higher levels and in positions in companies and seeing men in those positions. So from the beginning, it's like, maybe I don't belong there. And then mm -hmm. you talk, of course, about getting married and, you know, all, all the things that you need to focus on as a woman. Mm -hmm. A little focus on, on being a professional, being a business person, being ambitious. Yeah. Um, like I said, my parents were very... Um, I'd say they, they raised us equally with, with, the, with my brothers. They wanted us to finish sec, um, high school, then university. But I literally mm -hmm. remember, I think it was like two months after I graduated from uni, that mom was like, all right, so when are we, you know? Yeah. When are we having <laughs> and mind you, I had no, no partner to marry at that time. Right? <laughs> so it's just been all these expectations that make us mm -hmm. feel like, Maybe this is not for us. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you had this great point about the women selling fruit in the streets because they're, yeah. they're the backbone of an entire economy. But yeah. what women, so she may, of course, you know, know that she is selling, but she may not realize that from selling the fruit, um, she can save the money to move on to, you know, having a stand. Um, and then from having a stand, she can buy you know, um, yeah. a, a bigger shop or mm. go to a supermarket. It, of course, there are other barriers that we face as women. You know, this woman also probably is in charge of, you know, home care and child care mm. and 
mm-hmm. probably has a lower education than maybe her husband. But what the part we're trying to to tackle is her in the first place believing that it is possible to mm-hmm. to, to grow from selling food mm-hmm. outside of the community. That's interesting because for me, even as Burundians, because I'm not going to speak for other countries, it seems like. And then, of course, because we had TV and we like we can say we travel through TV, there's this uh, assumption that when we do things, it just happens in Burundi and, you know, that's it. You When you want to work, you'll do business in, in Burundi and nobody sees, nobody, you know, like the former generation was not like looking globally or even in Africa. And I think that this little mindset, like little thinking neighborhood, thinking just nearby, comes from is it from the culture is it from uh i don't know something like colonization kind of residues and why is it that because when you see nigerians like nigerians are everywhere like they're even in france for christ's sake like they're like a paris they're like everywhere and you can sense like when you see a nigerian you you think global because you see them everywhere when you talk about women uh i'm gonna speak about burundians obviously you think small and really, that bothers me. You, like um, on a personal level, and I have five siblings, only girls. So maybe I'm one of those kids who like you think it's all the same everywhere, but it's not. And I was raised to think globally. You know, when you go to the uni, you'll study outside. You'll study either in the US or there. And like this is, you you see the world differently when you start seeing outside. How do you teach those people who do not have this access of just say BBC and CNN, whatever, to believe in a word that they don't yet see. You know what I mean? Like, how do you think like big when you don't know what big looks like actually? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So I, they, don't, they don't need to see, um, from, from my perspective and, and the way we work here at Brazilian, they don't necessarily need to see outside and think globally. I completely agree with you that exposure to different cultures, experiences, you know, that, that's richness because it opens up your mind and, and you know, allows you to, to think bigger. I completely agree with that. But when, when, we, um, when we do a training, let's say we're in a workshop, we're in a room with 30 women in, in pre-COVID times, we could, not so much now, but... Uh, when we do our, when we deliver our core program called Storytelling for Leadership, mm-hmm. it's the program that aims to, be, to build um, self-confidence and leadership and agency. We start by redefining leadership for them, which is a definition I shared earlier, to being proactive in the face of a challenge. Mm-hmm. So sort of setting the tone of you are a leader. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter if you are muchado in a rural area. You're the leader in your own life. Like you're the agent in your own life, in your family, you decide how to tackle the challenges you see mm-hmm. in your day to day. Then we'll do activities around um, values identification, for example. And sort of them, what's, what's great about understanding our values, especially as women, is understanding what a value is, which is you know something that's important to you, but being able to identify your values as an individual, mm-hmm. Alex. And as women, it's hard for us to often to detach our values from the family values, the community values, the church values, right? Because we're 
we serve and we're the givers. And mm-hmm. it's like, for a lot of them, it's the first time that they sit down and go like, what do I care about as, you know, as, you know? What's important to me? Integrity, respect, family. And, and what we help them realize is that values is what, they're what guide our, our decision-making and our choices in life, you know? And, and we go through life not necessarily knowing that, but when they do self, when they reflect on their journeys, on their life in a workshop, they start realizing why they made certain choices in their life. It's because something was pulling them, like something yeah. that they cared about, their values. We help them then reflect on their journey. Uh, this, this activity we do called the Tree of Life, where they all think about where they've come from, um, where they are today, where they've come from. Don't that's like their their childhood or their past mm-hmm. in general, um, where they are today, and then we it, in mapping out the tree. This tree has fruit, and the fruit represent their achievements, and we encourage them to talk about what they've achieved. And speaking about women, the imposter syndrome, like of self confidence, it's really hard for us to say I'm good at this or I've achieved this. Mm. So, but it's done in a you know group setting, and they start in pairs, and then in larger groups, and they start connecting through, you know, the storytelling, the sharing. But they start acknowledging, you know, things that they've yeah, done. Yeah. I've never talked about. It. Like, no, I've done this, and it could be that she is a mom, but it could be that she has, you know, grown a business or whatever it is that's unique wow. to her. Then um, at the top of the tree is a hummingbird, which is our third, our logo, and those are their dreams and their goals. So we we want them to start projecting and thinking like, what is it? I know I've achieved these things. Mm-hmm. Where? What else do I want to achieve? Um, and again, it's for women, it's in, in the business of our day, taking care of families and all the responsibilities we have, sometimes as professionals and also, you know, uh, yeah. caretakers and all of that. It's hard to sometimes carve the time to think about where we want to be and where we want to go. Um, and then we move into, um, we, we build the, the leadership story. And we, our training was rooted in a storytelling framework that was developed by a Harvard professor called Dr. Gans, Marshall Gans. Mm-hmm. And he, he basically built this framework that teaches people how to use storytelling to galvanize communities and like rally people around a shared value or, show, or common challenge. Um, so they start building their leadership story. So this participant at the end of the workshop is able to tell her story that mm-hmm starts with a challenge she's gone through in her life, a choice she's made to, to tackle that challenge. And that's a choice that's rooted in, in, in her value. She made a choice that goes back to the things she cared the most about. And then ends with the outcome to where she is today. And the magic that happens when we have this workshop over two days, it's a, two, it's a short workshop oh, by so time, is them finding the strength and the the richness among themselves, right? It's okay. not through TV and looking at what others yeah. are doing. Yeah. It's in this room, so-and-so has actually, you know, accomplished these things. Alex is like, mm-hmm. you know, she has a podcast, she's a CEO, she's done all these things, and she's Burundian, she's a young woman, she's, you know, she, mm. if you can do it, I can do it too. Yeah. 
And at the same time, you, uh, let's say we're in a workshop, it's you sharing your story mm-hmm. about how you've come to starting two podcasts and, and having a business and all that. And seeing that like your story matters and it's validated by me, who's like, oh my God, how did you yeah. get that done? So there's like this, and, and it works so much, um, so well with women, because we are yeah. community people, right? Like we, the collective of us is powerful. And, and it's like that, that we come mm-hmm. out like, we're just unearthing something that was already there. So we're not telling them, hey, you should apply for this job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this business—it's like it was it's in already, her from yeah. the beginning of in her, but it's her going like, "I can actually do this," and she's received the skills to start the business from the partner organization we're working with. You know, it's important that we do that we keep this model of hard skills and soft skills and leadership. Wow. So yeah, that, that's our way of through our co- we have other programs, but that's like the our the heart of what we do and what we're passionate about. That's amazing because you get to do the hardest work ever. I think for me is to make sure that Burundians can speak, let's just say Burundian, East African women can like share things. Because it's been one of my struggle to get people on this podcast and women and explain. I was like, can you speak about you? It's like, no, my, my life is not really interesting. I'm like, actually, it is. You know, we can we can organize a resonate virtual workshop for. I mean. Yes, and we'll get the stories out of them for you. It's 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 interesting, but yeah, I think for me, at the end of the day, it's like more and more people get to see what you do and how you embrace like the leadership because leadership sounds so out there and just you know stuck in the Bible and nobody can be Abraham. And I'm like, yeah, actually, I made it in the image of God. I can do, I can do whatever, you know. But that's just me. So. How can you tell me, like, because you spoke about your work in Rwanda, what do you do in the East African region or where are you actually? You do the same programs, but in which countries? So we, we're based in Rwanda. We were founded um, seven years ago now by, by two women, um, American women called Ayla Schlosser and Solange Mhano Yimana, who's Rwandan, and they met in Rwanda. And that's where, you know, both being very passionate about gender equality meaning equal access to opportunity. They wanted to tackle this confidence gap that was holding mm-hmm. women back. Um, and over time, we started um, partnering with organizations in Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. Uh, but I have to say it was at a sort of ad hoc basis. Like if we ran into an organization that was oh, okay. wanted our training, we'd travel and, and go and, and, and work there. 2020 was supposed to be the year for... <laughs> of our uh, expansion. We had spent a lot of time in Nairobi <laughs> last year and team had gone to Arusha and then COVID started. So yeah. it's on hold. But, but one great thing is that uh, like many people, we pivoted um, when we were in lockdown starting late March and we're able to do our train, like parts of our, our most, our core programs, including storytelling, mm-hmm. we can do it virtually now. Yeah. Okay. Which, which is allowing us to train, you know, globally. Oh, like it yep. doesn't nice. almost doesn't have to be limited to East Africa. Although our mission aligns with East Africa for now, so we'll see. We'll see where it takes us. Uh, but All definitely right. hoping to be able to partner with more organizations and and okay. reach. We've trained um, over nine thousand participants mm. in, the, in the past seven years through about ninety organizations. Mm. Any partners. Come on. The goal now is, you know, to reach 
hundreds of uh, hundreds wow. of thousands would be the, the dream for me. I guess the last question, because I'm an athlete woman, I saw that you do something with cricket. I think there's a link with what you do with cricket. One thing, I think cricket is the least interesting sport. But then again, I was oh, like, because wow. I'm into a lot of sports, but cricket and baseball, I still don't get the rules, but it's fine. Yeah. And I was like, cricket in Rwanda, how, you know, Commonwealth, I get it. But how pretty is that? Can you tell us about what it is? Yeah, there's a beautiful cricket uh, stadium in Gahanga. It's beautiful, yeah, that's true. It is. So that's one of our, Cricket Builds Hope is one of our partners. It's, um, okay. so because we partner with different organizations, some are work with women in cooperatives, uh, others oh. are in entrepreneurship, others are in farming. Um, with Cricket Builds Hope, they're, they're into sports for leadership or sports for development and and using sports as a way to build uh, leadership for women. Mm-hmm. So we've partnered with them for two years now and are hoping to um, to hopefully work again, extend the partnership through 2021 to 2022. But basically, they built, Cricket Builds Hope, they provide, they teach young women in the Gahanga community how to play cricket. <laughs> and we, we, provide the leadership training that and will be interesting to join you guys on that right? one. I'm like yeah it's as silly as it sounds it sounds fun it's it's definitely one of my um I have favorites unfortunately for in terms of, <laughs> of one of them I have so we with our trainings we always do uh we do follow up we want to mm. measure the impact that our training has uh like based on last year's impact measurement efforts we saw that 73% of the women and youth we trained took on leadership roles in their communities. Okay. 37% started businesses and 30% had an academic or professional advancement. And the impact we've seen in Gahanga on this program has been amazing. There's this young woman called uh, Emilienne who comes from a family of 12 siblings. She had dropped out of school, primary school and through going through that program, she started saving um, money from the, the transport money she gets for the training or mm-hmm. the money she'd come across. And she started selling fruit um, in her community. From there, she started a little business of mm-hmm. uh, selling traditional beer. Now uh, she's able to pay school fees for some of her siblings. Uh, but when I talked to her, the, the beautiful thing was her saying, I'm able to buy things for myself now. Like I, yeah. the, dress, the dress that I'm wearing, I bought. It's, I, yeah. That wow. sense of pride and, and being like, I can do things for myself mm-hmm. now. And I don't have to rely on others or sometimes feel like a burden on my family that already is going for a lot. And we see so many stories like that from, from that program and other programs. So That's beautiful. So what's your plan for the next five years or 10? Um, like I said, I, I really want us to be able to say we've trained 100,000 women. A hundred, because Steffi told me it's a million. They're aiming a million. I was like, that sounds crazy, but hey, dream big. Steffi is always more interesting. <laughs> I, I need to check my own self-confidence. <laughs> Uh, but for the next five years, I'd like us to be able to 
to do that. But when I'm talking about 100,000, these are, I'm talking about women that we will have trained. Keep mm. in mind, this impact has a ripple effect, right? Emilienne was able to pay for school fees for her siblings mm. and help yeah. her family. Others are supporting their children. So when we actually look at, which is something we're starting to track now more um, seriously, is the impact of this woman who's now empowered, or this girl who believes in herself and is, you know, doing things, you know, doing amazing things that are bringing in income. Like we're mm. talking about money and, and, you know, sustainability and financial yeah. independence. Independence, yeah. All the people that it is affecting their communities. And I have no doubt that if we've trained 100,000 women, it will touch you. Yeah. In the next five years, we will yeah. have impacted over a million people. Wow. So more than a million. So you're yeah. more. You can tell Stephia. I'll let her know. So, what is your mentor? Do you have mentors or role models? Because obviously you're into leadership. Oh, one thing I want to ask, just this because it's amazing, as I ask this every woman I meet all the time, is like, what's your story? And I ask, like, tell me three or four qualities that you have. And it's a hustle for all of them. It's like, I don't know. She's like, how come you don't know? So because you're working to leadership and it's your job, please yeah. tell me you have like the four points just like this. I probably do. So you said the four <laughs> things that I, that I like. Qualities. No, qualities. qualities. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I'm a very passionate person. Like I, I feel hard in a fight for what I feel and what I believe in. Okay. Um, I am kind. Okay. I am organized. Is All right. All yeah. That I take pride in. And I am, uh, I'm a convener. I'm a connector. Like I like people to come together and do things together and get along and love each other and support each other. There you go. There you go. Yeah, you're really working to leadership. That's, right? that's, <laughs> that's good for you. So tell me if you have any yeah, mentors or role models. That's a tough question because I have, I have role models in different areas of, sure. of life. So I'd say uh, I was checking out right before we talked your, your page, your, um, the, the, the podcast. Links and you okay. had, had Carmen, Dr. Carmen on yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely a role model. I just love <laughs> shows up and you know, yeah. is passionate and, and has integrity. So she's a role model, on, especially on the professional side. On the mommy side and being, you know, someone who's trying to grow kind humans, successful mm. humans. Um, I have just in, in my circle of friends, I, I have strong women who are Okay. Who are trying, you know, it's, it's hard to get the, the right balance, but who are trying really hard to show up for their kids and while being working moms. Mm. Um, yeah, another role, I have so many. I love Indra Noe, who was, I don't think it's Noe or Noe, who was the CEO mm. of PepsiCo. Mm -hmm. I love her as much as I'm in, in the business of speaking up and, have, and having self confidence. I, I still have ways to go. Yeah, like, that's dealing with my own confidence gap. I love how Indra just like says it, like yeah, that's true. you know. And whether you like it or not, she knows what she believes in, and she'll mm -hmm. say it. I love that about her. Yeah, the, the list is long. 
There you go. So and, this is... and, and my daughter, Shami. Oh, really? She's already yeah. your... She is in, she grounds me, she brings me back to being joyful. I feel like as mm. we grow yeah. older, you know, I'm getting close Tend to, to my lose. now. You, you, you start to lose the joy in, mm. in small things. And Chami does that for me and, and the, the, the twins too, the boys, kids are... Come on. They're great teachers in that way. That's amazing. All right, then. So let's finish on these notes that... Uh, Please do amazing job. Please, uh, you know, I think for me, it's like make those women confident and change change the environment because, oh my goodness, how much do we need those uh, those uh, changes? And yeah, to be, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, we're gonna be like, why is she in Rwanda? She could be doing this in Burundi. No, my friends, we can do whatever. You have your own purpose, but yeah, just by sharing a story and being, you know, as honest as you were is, it's not really Burundian and I applaud you for that. Like it's, you know what I mean? It's like, no, you could have jumped from one subject to another. And and I guess, yeah, it's a blessing and good luck for the 5 million kids. Yeah. You'll change lives and, you know, and uh, yeah, for your family as well. Good for you. Thank you. And thank you for, for the space to tell. My story yeah. does not resonate, but really the, as you say, you know, changing the narrative. Yeah. Africa, South Africa, we we need to, it sounds cliche sometimes, but we do need to own our stories. And yeah. you doing this type of work allows us to do that. So thank you. I just want to make sure that my friends, well, they're no longer my friends, those who still ask me if we have running water in Burundi, I'm like, oh, that's okay. Let's just put that aside. Anyway, thank you very much and uh, have a great day. Thank you. You too. Take care. Cheers.